Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 23 and 24. It's going to kind of be my theme verse, and then I'm going to walk us back through the rest of the chapter, or most of the chapter. But verse 23 says, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I want to let everybody in the room know this morning that you were created to be a worshiper. God created you to be a worshiper of himself. A.W. Tozer says the biblically defined purpose for man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. That is our purpose on the earth, to worship God and enjoy him forever. But, it, but worship is so in our DNA. It's so in who we were created to be. If you are not worshiping him, you are going to be worshiping something. You're, you're worshiping something, whether it be yourself or your career or your, or your money or success or idols or any other vices that we chase after. Um, even, even good things become bad things when we, make them, when we put them in the place of God but we are all going to worship something. It's in our nature to do that. Psalms, Psalms 115 and Psalms 135, both along the lines say that, that, that people, they, they craft things that can't speak. They make idols out of things that can't speak and can't hear, and they worship them, and in doing so, they become powerless just like those idols. And, and uh, Jack Hayford speaking on this, he said that, that the worshiper transforms into the object in which it's worshiping, that we are, we are transformed into the object in which we worship. And so we become like whatever we are beholding. That is an easier way that I've heard it said, is that we become like what we behold. We become like what we intently stare at, what we intently gaze at, what we meditate on, what we look at, what we think about. And, even, and this, is why, this is why fellowship and church community is so important, because you become the people that you hang around. And, 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 and we, Romans 8 says that we have been predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And if, you're, if you aren't, and I'm not saying that you're going to look just like him <laughs> right away for sure. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, we're never going to look completely like him. It's a process. It's a sanctification process. But if you are not becoming more like Jesus, you may not be hanging out with him. You may not be spending time with him. Acts 4.13, the Sanhedrin council looks at Peter and John, and they notice that they were uneducated, ordinary men, but they could tell that they had been with the Christ. They could tell they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they looked like him. They walked like him. They acted like him. They talked like him. They were doing the things that he did and saying the things that he said. Why? Because they had relationship with him. They were worshipers of him. Now, all of us, Romans says, Romans 1 says that we all have traded, uh, we've all traded God for lies, that we have all worshiped creation over the creator, that we're all guilty of this going into Romans 3, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God that we have all sinned, that we've all done this, but Jesus came to make a space where we could come in boldly into the throne room. He washes our sins away so that we could come back into relationship with him so that we could become a worshiper of him as we were meant to be, to be conformed into his image and then to become the light of the world. You were at our Sermon on the Mount series, Matthew chapter five. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light. He didn't say, he didn't say, I am the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. John 1 says that his life is the light of all mankind. 
And it's when we behold him and we worship him that he fills us with his abundant resurrection life that we begin to shine, that we begin to become that light unto the world. And so we have, we have, and that's even why John the Baptist was saying, behold the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Behold him, look upon him because he is the one that's going to put light on the inside of you. And so we have to fix our gaze upon him. And this isn't something that we ever stop doing. We don't just repeat a prayer and then it's done. We, now, I want to say, you don't start the fire, but you are called to fan and to flame the fire that's on the inside of you. And so he comes after us, but it's our responsibility to look at him. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more um, here in a second. But I believe that Jesus is coming in this place today for us to truly gaze upon his beauty. And like I prayed earlier, he always comes because he always wants to meet with us. He always wants to meet with us. And our posture, listen, your heart posture when you come into the presence of God will determine how much access and revelation that you receive from him. So let's look at John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Pause right there for just a second. Jesus, they hear, the Pharisees hear that he's baptizing more people than John the Baptist. That him and his disciples, or not technically him, but his disciples are baptizing more people. Now, on the surface, that looks like whatever, unless you understand how many people John the Baptist and his disciples were baptizing. Low number estimate of John the Baptist and his disciples baptizing is a hundred thousand. High number is over a million. And that, and, and, and supposedly on the day that John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he and his disciples had already baptized 3,000 people that day. So Jesus leaves that. He like, this is your moment. You've gotten so big, Jesus. Now the Pharisees know about it. Now it's your time. Confront the religious establishment. Say that you are the son of God, but he doesn't do that. He leaves what looks like successful ministry to us on the outside. He also had a meeting with Nicodemus in chapter three, who was a leader of the Sanhedrin council. He was a, he was a leader of the Pharisees. He was very, very influential. Jesus had a meeting with him, but leaves the meeting with that guy, leaves the ministry to go to Galilee. Actually, look at verse four. He was going somewhere else. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samar the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Pause right there. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Samaria was the shortest route, but most Jews hated Samaritans so much that they would walk around Samaria, that they would add miles and miles to their journey just to avoid them. Samaritans, they, Jews considered them half-breeds because they were people who were left behind. I don't want to get into a history lesson here, but they were Jews left behind when the Babylonians took the Israelites into captivity. They began to intermarry with the Assyrians and began to have babies, and the Samaritans were a group that rose up out of that, and they were considered half-breeds by the Jews. So there was a little bit, kind of a little bit of racism going on here, but they, they hated each other, hated each other. Um, <laughs> Later on, when you see that Jesus sends his disciples into the village, they would have had to pass by this woman. The disciples probably would have made his, this, they would have hated her so much, they would have moved her off the road and kept walking into the village. Like, it was, it was a bad deal. Um, but he didn't avoid it. He went straight into it. He went straight into this land. He went straight into uh, 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 the Samaritan village of Sakar. Interesting. He's weary. He's tired, which I think is amazing because it's God become flesh. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us. 
He, he knows what it is to thirst. He knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to struggle. He knows what it is to experience loss and pain and sweat and anxiety and all of those. He knows what all of those things feel like. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. I love, <laughs> he, sits, he sits at Jacob's well. Interesting at Jacob's well. Um, Abraham's servant found Rebekah, Isaac's wife, at this well. Jacob met his wife, Rachel, at this well. Moses met his wife, Zipporah, at this well. I'm thinking about building a well at our young adult group. <laughs> Get some people married up in here. I'm going to start arranging marriages around here. I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was coming to this well to meet his bride. He was coming to this well to meet his bride. Now, he didn't, obviously, he didn't marry anyone while he was here on the earth, but this woman represents all of us, represents the church, his bride. Look at verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Notice here, it's noontime that Jesus is at this well. It's the hottest part of the day. Um, she, most women came early in the morning or late at night in the cool of the day to draw water. She came at the hot part of the day, noontime, when nobody else would be there because she wanted to avoid people. We'll see why she wanted to avoid people but in, in a minute, but she was hiding from people. She was hiding from people. She was hiding either in guilt or shame. We're going to look at that. Um, but Jesus asked her, give me a drink give me a drink. And she says, why are you asking me for a drink? A um, few things here. Number one, uh, people were already calling Jesus rabbi. Uh, a rabbi, uh, the rabbis were so strict, they would definitely not talk to a woman who wasn't their wife in, in a public setting. Um, and some of them didn't even talk to their wives in public. Um, women were very much, could not like, they were kind of second class citizens at this time. Um, and so she's a woman, he's a man, Another thing is, she's a, she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. And the last thing is, she doesn't have a reputable reputation. <laughs> she's probably a, a sinner or an outcast, and Jesus is a holy man. So there's three strikes and you're out. Jesus like, you definitely don't need to be talking to this woman. And then what comes back, it says his disciples were shocked to see him talking to this woman, but yet he reaches out and asks for a drink from her. And, and, and just watching Jesus meet this broken half-breed of a woman at this well, I can only think about when Eve met the serpent at the tree. But Jesus, the tree of life, comes to meet his bride, who's broken, who's shameful, who is guilty, who is outcast. He comes back to bring Eve back into restoration. Jeremiah 2 says that we have traded him the fountain of living water for a well that always runs dry. And so as we read this this morning, don't look at this dirty, shameful, guilty, broken, rejected woman as someone that's not you because she represents you. She represents us. Read yourself into this story. And then she asked the question that I've asked hundreds, if not thousands of times is, why are you asking me for a drink? Because when you see how good and how amazing and how credible and how beautiful he is in comparison to your own life, the first question that always comes up is, why are you talking to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how shameful and how dirty and how disgusting I've been, Jesus? Why are you, why are you talking to me? Don't you know that I'm a nobody? 
Don't you have more important people to talk to? Why do you want an audience with me? And Jesus replies in verse 10, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And I love that line, if you only knew. If you only knew who speaks to you, if you only knew how good this man is that speaks to you, if you only knew how much he loves you, if you only knew how much he sees you, if you knew, if we really knew, we really knew how incredible he was, we would behold him the rest of our lives. We would be ruined for anything else. That old song that comes to mind is like, I'm going to waste it all on you. I don't care if I'm called a fool. I'm going to waste it all on you because you're that good. If you only knew. We would never leave him again. We would never run to other lovers. Jesus left the hundreds, the thousands, the tens of thousands to meet with one woman. He left one of the most influential religious leaders to meet with a sinful woman. Why? Because the Father is looking for worshipers. Worshipers. Not ones who have the answers to all the doctrinal questions and who have got it all figured out. He's looking for worshipers. Not the one who knows the answer to why is there evil and suffering in the world. He's looking for worshipers. Not the ones who speak in tongues and the ones who thinks it's gibberish. He's looking for worshipers. Whose heart posture is, I want to worship you. Not looking for who've got all their ducks in a row and their eyes dotted and their T's crossed and they dress nice and they look good. and they... He's looking for worshipers. That's why he's coming. He's no respecter of persons. He comes looking for you and he comes looking for me. He shows no favoritisms except that you're his favorite. Everybody in this room, you're his favorite. You're his favorite. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense how all four of my kids can all be my favorite. Now, some days I have different favorites than others. But I'm a sinful, fallen, broken man. You're Abba Father. You're, you are his favorite. And what's interesting is he wants to behold you. He wants your company. Charles Spurgeon says that just as much as the sinner was satisfied in the drink from the Savior, the Savior was satisfied in the drink from the sinner. Come on. He wants your company. He actually desires that you would ask him for a drink, not cleaned up and come back when you feel like it every moment. He meets this woman at the lowest of lows, not when you feel worthy, all the time. His greatest desire is that you would behold him. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is that the, the number one commandment? Because it's what he desires most, your love. What he desires most is a relationship with you. That's his greatest desire. That's why it's his greatest command, because he's jealous for you. He doesn't care where you're from or what you've done or what you're currently doing. He still comes after you. And, and I think we get caught up in this sometimes. It's like I think that we think that God has more grace and love for lost people than he does for his own kids. But you're adopted and you can't change it. Not, not your behavior. You can't do anything about it. Well, I'm a hypocrite. Well, his grace is good, man. It's so good. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> 
What makes sense is that he would kick me out. But I want you to know this morning that your father is not up in heaven going, dear God, Josh, you're 33. I thought you would not yell at your kids anymore by now. I thought you would have more patience by now. I thought you would have more self-control right now. It's not based on your behavior. It's based on the behavior of our Savior, of Jesus. He's that good. He's that good. He's after your heart. All right, let's move on. Verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better waff, wa- waffer, waffles? She came to get water, not waffles. Water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Ghost now. He's talking spiritual. She's still thinking physical. And, and, I, and I just want to let you know, as, as, as oftentimes in worship, in a song, or, 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 or preacher, or somebody's praying for you, whatever, and something sounds weird, don't run away from it. If it's causing something to turn on the inside of you, see, she did the right thing. This sounds weird, and it's not making sense, but she came with questions. She was searching for truth. Something about this man didn't make sense, but I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to move towards it. And I love, man, he wants to put a fountain of living water in you. It's the Holy Ghost is a connection to him, by him, through him, in you, in you, the Holy Ghost in you. The Holy Ghost is inside of you. So guess what? You don't need a pastor. And that sounds, you need a pastor, but you don't need a pastor. Bear with me here. You don't need to call your accountability partner in the middle of the night. Now, you might need to, but you don't need to because you have connection to the Holy Ghost. And so when your accountability partner doesn't answer and he's all, oh, I fell again because my accountability partner didn't answer. Oh, I slipped up again because my pastor didn't care about me like I thought that he should care about me. No, you have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. You don't need a new worship song. You don't need another message to tickle your ears to encourage you again. You have a river of living water that never runs dry that you always have access to. (laughs) Come on. You don't come here for me to feed you. Well, that place didn't feed me, so I'm going to go to the church down the road. Do you only eat once a week, man? It's not your pastor's job to feed you. It's your pastor's job to teach you. I'm not absolving myself of responsibility. We can lead the sheep to the water, but I can't force you in. I can't make you drink. You have access to the same river that I do. You have access to the same Jesus that I do. You have access to the same Jesus that this woman is sitting with at the well. And you can actually encounter him today. You can actually be filled with the Holy Ghost today. And I'm not just talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about supernatural experience that you can encounter today in this room. That you can encounter in your bedroom, in your closet, at work, on the way to work, coming home. All all the time you can encounter him. You have access to him 24-7. The stream of his presence will bring you life and life more abundantly. Let's move on. Verse 15 and 16, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get the water. Dude, he's got her. He's got her. He threw the pitch. Come on. <laughs> threw the pitch. Now, Jesus, just have her repeat the prayer. Send her on the way. He, man, dude, if I'm coaching somebody on evangelism, like, Jesus, you got it, bro. This is, how you can, this is how you get the lost saved right here, man. You did it. 
And then he screws it all up. <laughs> Verse 16. Go and get your husband. Man, can we talk about that later? Can we give him a few minutes, Jesus? <sighs> but this is what he does. Go and get your husband. And I can only imagine the pain that this must have caused her. Because this conversation is going good. Like you look at her, this man is talking to me like no one has ever talked to me before. He's looking at me, not with judgment, not with condemnation. He seems to be interested in helping me. I mean, he's offering me this living water. I don't know what that is, but it sounds amazing. Then he says, go get your husband. Listen, Jesus wants to be our bridegroom, but he can only take our hand if we let go of other lovers. He wants to give us eternal, abundant life, but first you've got to take up your cross. He wants to give us living water, but we've got to stop drinking from the well that we're drinking from. Understand, this line from Jesus would have rocked her to the core, but I want you to understand this is grace. This is grace. This is grace. He comes after the most shameful, most disgusting, most dirty, the most wounded, hurt, broken parts of our heart. Not because he's malicious, but because he wants to heal them. And his desire is to make us whole. This, listen, go get your husband. This is God in the garden calling out to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you? Not because he wanted to destroy them, but because he wanted to restore them. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't trying to show her how dirty she was, but to expose her to how good he is. Because to show her, I know, I know, you can't hide from me, I know, but I still chose to have an audience with you today. Yeah. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. The, the comment, the grace rocks her, but she responds the way that we all have. She hid. I don't have a husband. Adam and Eve, they were naked, so they hid. Jesus is pulling the mask off. What she's doing, like this is shame. This is the lie of shame. This is the lie of if he knows what I've been through, what I've done, he'll never want to give me living water. And we, we think that we can hide from the only one that we can't hide from. He's the only one that we can't hide from, but we still act like that we can hide from him. But he sees every single part of our hearts, and it's his grace and his goodness that he wants to expose those places. He wants to shine his light on those places so that he can deal with them. Listen, because he's got something better for you. He's got something better for us. And and, and, and she's thinking, here's my breakthrough, here's my chance, here's someone who cares, here's someone that's going to do something for me. Everybody else knows my past, they know how bad I've been or how hurt I am or how broken I am, but she, she comes here to hide at noon when no one else would be there. But Jesus meets her, meets her there, and, and oftentimes we begin to have an encounter with, a, encounter with Jesus, whether it be in worship or at work or whatever, we feel the warm fuzzies, but then he starts quickly talking about the wounds and the sins, and the shame, and the guilt, and the deep, most hidden places. And she does what many of us do. She dresses it up to make herself look appealing. She brings excuses. She blames others. She blames their circumstances. 
And we try to hide from the only one we can't truly hide from, but he loves us too much to leave us in darkness. He loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too. He loved this woman too much to let her continue living the life that she was living because he was true, abundant, resurrection, life. And it's only in the exposing of darkness can he actually deal with it. You did the, if you try to do this today, people would, the excuses that we make, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what those men did to me. Don't judge me. He didn't come to judge. He came to bring wholeness and healing in life. It's his mercy, his grace, his love that presents us with the truth about who we are. Understand this, his grace is confrontational. How will you respond to it? How will you respond to it? Her response is everything. My whole point of this today, her response is everything. Verse 19 and 20. Sir, this woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at this mountain where our ancestors worshiped? Now, I've heard this taught before that she was using theology or whatever to dodge the question to continue to hide, but I don't think that's the case. I think this woman came face to face with a man that she perceived to be from God, and her first question is, how does God want me to worship him? Because y'all say it's over there and we say that it's over here, but you're from God because you're telling me, you're reading all of my secrets, you're telling me everything about myself. My question to God is, how does he want me to worship him? Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was from God because he said you couldn't do all those miracles if you weren't for God. But Nicodemus' response is, how can I get eternal life? How can I get that from God? And her response is, what can I give to him? What can I give to him? How does he want me to worship him? Because she sees that he's worthy of worship. And what do we read to start with? The Father is seeking after worshipers. And her heart, her heart posture was, I want to worship him. He just called her out. He just poured salt into the womb. He just laid her bare. And her response is so beautiful. How does God want me to worship him? And then we read verse 21 through 24 earlier. The time is here the tr that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The reason that Jesus came for this woman is because the Father's looking for worshipers. This woman's heart posture has to be us where we say, I want to worship him the way that he wants to be worshipped. In spirit and in truth. It's not in spirit and truth. Spirit. God is spirit. He's everywhere. It doesn't have to be at that temple or that temple or that mountain or that mountain or whatever. It's in spirit and in truth. It's a place of the heart. You don't have to come here to worship God. Although we don't forsake the gathering, we come together. We're the church. We're the fellowship. We come together and worship him. But also, you are the temple. You are the church. You are the temple. And so as you go throughout your week, you're worshiping him in spirit, in spirit, in spirit, because your spirit is connected to his spirit all the time, all the time, all the time. In truth, in truth. Well, the Samaritans say this, and the Jews says this, and culture says this, and this guy says this, and this guy says this, and this guy says this, and they say that, and that church is that way, and this whatever. And he says, in truth, Jesus defines who he is. He's the one who says how he wants to be worshipped. Don't ever separate the word of God from the words of God. The word, capital W, Jesus, in the beginning was the word. Talking about Jesus, not your King James Bible. The word, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. You cannot separate him from what he says. We worship him in truth. We don't define him. We don't, we don't worship him the way that we want to worship him. We worship the way, him the way that he wants to be worshipped 
worship in spirit and in truth. It's not a matter of place, but of heart. It's engaging the whole heart and mind. It's not ignorant or selective, leaving parts of him that we don't like out. I want to say this to you. Spirit makes truth come alive. Spirit makes truth come alive. And truth moves our spirits past an emotional experience into a supernatural one. I'm going to say it again. There's a little side note here, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's important. Spirit makes truth come alive, and truth moves our spirits past an emotional experience into a supernatural one because it's not goosebumps, it's fire. It's not head knowledge, it's intimacy. It's not duty, it's love. I don't pray to God because it's my duty to pray to him. I pray to him because I'm in love with him. Come on. If it's duty, you'll phase out real quick. It's not duty, it's love. I'm in pursuit of him, and he's in pursuit of me. He doesn't want you to just hear about him, he wants you to encounter him. If your relationship with Jesus is void of experience, you're probably worshiping doctrine. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, but they all point to me. You're trying to find life in them, but you can't have life from them because they're all from me. You find life in me. This is important. This is, this is his words to us, but I don't read this like I'm reading the newspaper. I don't read this because I want to be good at having arguments and I want to have... Okay? So if you're... So I'm going to... Two parts to this. If your relationship is void of experience, you're probably worshiping doctrine or theology. If your relationship is void of doctrine or theology, you might be worshiping an idol. Because you can't separate him from what he says, and this is what he says. Now, can he prophesy through us? Absolutely. Can he give us words to say to people? Absolutely. But understand, it will not contradict this. This is your plumb line right here. (laughs) He doesn't want you to just hear about him. He wants you to encounter him. Verse 25, 26, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. John, the book of John is famous for his I am statements. It's beautiful because this is the first one. And who is it to? Well, not to John the Baptist, not to his disciples who, mind you, left everything to follow him. They deserve an explanation. Not to them. Not to Nicodemus. Nick, Jesus, bro. He, Jesus talked about himself in third person the whole time he talked to Nicodemus. If, dude, if you're wanting to put yourself on the map, if you want to let everybody know that you're the Messiah, that you're the Son, like, let Nicodemus know, man. Let him set you up. But Jesus' whole ministry, he was taking those who thought they were on the inside and he was moving them to the outside. And he was taking those on the outside and he was moving them to the inside. The reason that Jesus got so ticked off at the money changers in the temple is because they filled the outer courts where the Gentiles and the women were trying to worship. And it ticked him off. And he said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And he wasn't talking about the exchange of money. He was saying, you're robbing the ones who you think are less important from my father. You're robbing them of his presence. So he comes to this woman and he says, I am the Messiah. And this woman has done nothing to earn his affection. She's clearly not obeying the law to a T. She's even tried to hide herself. He's exposing her and she tries to hide. (laughs) And he still reveals himself to her. 
Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see, to see him. Come and see him. Come and behold him. Could he be the one? Could he be the one? Come and see him. Verse 39, skip down. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days. Now, not uh, uh, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard it him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So you may hear about him and believe in him from me, but that is to push you into a place where you are hearing about him from him. And then you go to other people and tell them about what he told you and it causes them to come to him and then he begins to tell them about themselves. This is how we make disciples of all nations. I thought it was good. Thank you. I think. He didn't. The father, listen, the father isn't looking for another preacher. He's not looking for another worship leader to hold the microphone and write a feel-good song. He's not looking for another Christian Arthur, another social media influencer. He's looking for worshipers whose heart posture is, how does God want me to worship him? He's looking for people who are gripped by the beauty of his face and the sound of his voice. The people with the heart of David who would lay down everything just to behold them. This one thing that I ask, the one thing that I seek, Lord, is that I may gaze at your beauty and inquire of you in your temple all the days of my life. That's the one thing that I ask, Lord. The one thing that I ask, and to have the heart of David when you come into his presence, search me. Is there anything in me that offends you, God? Because I want to get it out, man. I want to get it out because I know that you'll replace it with living water. Search me, Lord. I'll spend all my days it's not so that I can preach sermons or build the church or gain a following, but it's just to know him. It's just to know him because he's beautiful, he's lovely, he's worthy, he's holy. And if, if Jesus is all I have for the rest of my life, that's fine because he's enough. If where you're at right now in life is all that you ever have for the rest of your life, are you okay with it? Is he enough? Is he enough? It's fascinating, this woman, the Catholic Church actually made her a saint. Saint Fotini is her name. Fotini, photon, meaning light. Fotini, when we talked about at the beginning, you are the light of the world. This woman beheld the beauty of God and let Jesus shine through her and she became a light to her whole city. And the whole city got saved. Man. But before she did that, Jesus had to expose that part of her of, go get your husband. Go get your husband. I, I know it's past time. Again, it's not my fault. <laughs> but I want to end with some worship today. Lucas and Cam are going to come out, and they're going to play a song. Go get your husband. You've had five, and the one you're living with now, you're not even married to. And... and Right here in this, in this scripture, we don't have a lot of context to what was going on, but there's two scenarios or, that are possible or both here. But first scenario is this woman's hurt. She's deeply wounded. Typically in this, like I said earlier, women a lot of times in this, um, this time in this culture were, were, were seen as almost second class. W women couldn't just divorce their husbands. Couldn't do it. 
It was the men who had to issue the certificate of divorce. And, and, and it, there's no way she committed adultery five times because one of them would have stoned her. Just saying, that's just the way that it was. This woman had been rejected five times or may, maybe a couple of her husbands died. Maybe a lot of them died and there was a reason the six man wasn't saying yes. Everybody she marries croaks. Scary. I don't know if I would have said yes either. But she's been rejected five times, probably because she was barren. She probably couldn't have kids. And now the one she's with doesn't see her as worthy enough to wed. The, the second scenario is that she is a sinner. And she is broken and she's done shameful things. She's a serial adulterer. Maybe she just sabotages every marriage because she feels unworthy. And everyone she's gazed upon has left her empty. And everyone that we've gazed upon has left us empty. Maybe you've got deep wounds, you've been betrayed, you've been wounded, maybe from a parent, maybe from a spouse. Maybe, you've been, maybe you're holding wounds in your hearts from something that your dad or your uncle or somebody did to you 30 years ago. <sighs> maybe you've experienced loss that's unbearable, but I want everybody in the room to know this morning that Jesus is here and he wants to see you. That's my favorite, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Martha comes to Mary after Lazarus has passed away and she says the teacher is here and he wants to see you. He wants to see you. Maybe you've got sin in your life. You've got secrets. He wants to expose them this morning. Again, not to shame you, but to pull you out of shame. To pull you out of shame. You're not gonna win in the dark. And this isn't a community that's gonna say, oh, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you're struggling with that because we all have struggled with junk over the years. Again, like I said earlier, like, geez, Josh, you're th I'm turning 33 in two weeks, like the age of Jesus. Like I should have it to get more together by now. My goodness. But that's, what's ma that's what makes him more beautiful because in my weakness, he's strong. In my brokenness, he's strong. But he doesn't desire for us to stay broken. He wants to pull us out of that. So he's speaking right now. He's not here to show you how ugly you are, but how good he is. Stand with me. Go get your husband. Go get your brokenness and bring it here. Go get your addictions and bring them here. Go get your eating disorder and bring it here. Go get your greed that's caused you to do things that you would have never done. Go get your hate, your anger, your bitterness, your unforgiveness. Go get them and bring them here. Bring them to this well. Let him wash you clean. Let him fill you with life. You've got to divorce the husband of idolatry, the husband of hurt, and behold your bridegroom. Let's behold his eyes that are like fire, his hair that is like wool, voice that sounds like many waters. He's got grace for you. He's got grace for you. You're there, but you're not there. <laughs> you're perfect, but you're not perfect. There's just this tension 
where we are washed clean, forever forgiven in the eyes of the Father, but there are still things that we're struggling with, and oftentimes it causes us to distance ourselves from Him, but grace closes that distance, and He comes in these places and in these moments, and He's coming after our hearts, and He's coming after our hearts, and He wants us to confess these things. He wants us to pull these things out in the open. I'm not, and listen, I'm not doing this to come for you to have some emotional experience. I'm doing this so that you can experience freedom, so that you can have freedom in this place. Five husbands, five senses, six one, number of man, fallen humanity, but the seventh one, he's the perfect bridegroom. He's the perfect bridegroom that will never leave you empty and will never let you down. And, and listen, it's a river of living water. It's a continual drink. And so maybe you've been in one place and you've taken a drink before and you know how good he is, but maybe you stopped drinking from that well. And because you stopped drinking from that well, these other wells begin to look like they were something that they weren't. And you went, I'll just, okay, I'll try this one or I'll try this one or I'll try this one or I'll try this one. Jesus loves me. He'll forgive me. That's not, that's not grace. Grace isn't God looking the other way while you drink from wells. It's him meeting you at that well that you're drinking from and saying, I've got something better for you today. I've got something better for you today. And so listen, they're going to sing this song. They're going to sing this song. Um, can I have some of my pastors, leaders, wives, elders come down? Can we make ourselves available for anyone who needs prayer? Um, I want to do that. Can we bring the lights down a little bit? Let's give some people some privacy um, here in this place. But it, listen, if, if there is hurt, if there are wounds, if there is sin, you're going to be met at this altar with grace. You're going to be met at this altar with living water. There's going to be no judgment here. And so what I want us to do right now is search our hearts. Is there a piece of us? Is there a percentage of us that we are keeping from him? And listen, if you're doing that, that's a re there's a reason you're experiencing that anxiety. There's a reason that you're experiencing that depression. There's a reason that you're experiencing that fear. There's a reason that you're experiencing those things is because you're trying to, to heal that wound by other means. And nothing's going to heal that wound except for Jesus. Nothing's going to heal that except for Jesus. So let's do this. Chaz, if you'll bring those lights down, we're going to sing this song. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. And I'll be the first one to tell you, man, I'm, I have drunk from that well. And I've gone to other wells. I have married myself to him and I've run to other lovers. I have blown it. I have fallen short. And I've had to come back to that place where I find that living water again. He's always there. He's always there. And he's here this morning. Holy Spirit, come fill this place. Come fill this place. We bring our mess out before you. We bring our wounds before you. Lord, I know what it's like to give my best. I don't know what it's like to give my best in it for it to never be enough. for it to never be enough. I know what it's like to give my best to people and it never be enough. To be rejected for the way that I look. To be rejected because of my personality. To be rejected because of my shortcomings. To be rejected because of my struggles and my sins. And you don't have to come, but you always do. 
And you know me better than anybody, but yet you love me more than anybody can love me. And you satisfy me. Let's worship. If you need prayer, come on. If you need an altar, come on. They're available. They're open in the front, in the middle, in the back. If you need an altar, find an altar. And if you need prayer, come get prayer while they sing this song. Don't miss an opportunity this morning to encounter Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless. Thank you.